0: This is a relay project. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: On this Tuesday, January 17th, we welcome you to Real Talk. It's great to have you here, Ryan Jesperson. John Hicks, the technical producer of this show. In just a moment, we're going to check in with Athabasca University professor Dr. Paul Kellogg. Uh, Here's the cool thing he's an expert on uh, political economy, social movements. Uh, He can talk Canadian politics, which we will. Uh, Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe is miffed that the Prime Minister did not let him know uh, that Trudeau was visiting a rare earth mining facility in Saskatchewan. The Premier didn't get the heads up. That the pm was touching down we'll talk about that dynamic and of course all of this a bigger conversation about ottawa's relationship in particular with energy economies in the west and the just transition that everybody's talking about we'll also ask uh, dr kellogg who happens to be an expert uh, in politics and history of russia what he makes of recent attacks targeting civilians In uh, Ukrainian cities, this is something we talked about yesterday with Charles Adler, obviously disturbing. Uh, Ashley Stewart's going to join us in just a little bit, an investigative journalist with Global News. Uh, She's traveled all over the world reporting from war zones and the like right now. She's blowing the doors off a story about a, a cabal of Canadian doctors that are actually fighting the fight against COVID-19 if you can believe it and uh, Ashley's done great work on it some of these docs have been coming at her as a matter of fact targeting or questioning uh, her credentials and her reputation I mean it's been character assassination is what it's been Ashley's going to join us and then Annalise Klingbale will join us in the second half of the show Johnny did you know that yesterday or pardon me tomorrow I was listening to this yesterday mm-hmm. uh, some of the details around this tomorrow the Alberta government is set to launch its Danny Buck's portal. Oh, no. Now, they're not. No, I don't know. I mean, this is this is going to be big money. $900 million is oh, going to make its way out from government coffers to Alberta families that qualify. Of course. And everybody's wondering if the web portal is going to work, because that's how you sign up to see if you qualify to get your, your hundred bucks a person per month for four months or whatever. It works and that's out
2: number to. one, why I said, oh, no. Number two is the memes of the Danny Bucks that I'm sure people are going
1: to create. Yeah. So, of course, everybody remembers in Alberta, the Ralph Bucks. Uh, from whenever that was, like the late 1990s, something Mm -hmm. like that. I I should have the details on that. And then, of course, there was the uh, Mo Money uh, out of the province of Saskatchewan. Scott Mo hooking up, uh, of course, residents in Saskatchewan with some of that province's surplus dollars. So Annalise, uh, who did a great job, by the way, guest hosting on The Strategists, the episode of The Strategists this week, I'll ask her about that. She's going to join us in about a half an hour's time looking forward to Uh, to all of that these conversations happen because we have sponsors that believe in the value of real talk and that includes the team at apex automation you know their main area of expertise is industrial control systems engineering and software development solutions for any industrial process, anything. So whether it's upstream oil extraction or pipelines across Western Canada or natural gas processing, or maybe in Saskatchewan, potash mining, robotics, material handling. They do a lot of that, like conveyor belts and overhead cranes. They're even working with craft brewers automating that process. They're attracting the best professional engineers across the country, software engineers, experts in automation. In part because of the way that they value their team and how they're giving people back their time with intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry. If you're looking for a change of pace, you're a professional engineer, you know you bring value to the table. Why not check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. We're really excited that our friends at Park Power are back in for another year with the promo code Money, And this one... I think it's even better than the one we had in 2022. Why? Because it's a bundle package. So you go to parkpower.ca right now. You take a look at the rates that they're offering for electricity, natural gas, and internet. And when you sign up, you use the promo code REALTALK23. That's REALTALK23. For every one of the services you bundle, they're going to knock $50 off your first bill. So if you're all in chips to the middle of the table with electricity, natural gas, and internet, The promo code REALTALK23 knocks $150 off your bill when you take your business to your friendly local utilities provider at parkpower.ca. And a huge shout-out to our friends at Athabasca University. You know, they're presenting this next conversation. They believe that this is a perfect time for anybody to get going on a plan designed to fit your life. How can they say that with confidence? Well, Athabasca University is specifically designed for ambitious people across the country looking for more flexible approaches to higher education. Athabasca University is sure to have something that meets your needs, your ambition, and fits your lifestyle. You can get a Canadian education online with AU no matter Where you live, it's a custom-designed approach to post-secondary education at AthabascaU.ca. Well, you probably saw it yesterday making news across the country. Uh, Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe says he was, quote, disappointed that he wasn't given the heads up. The Prime Minister was visiting the province of Saskatchewan, says the Premier, it's disappointing. This is an area, says Moe, that the provincial and federal governments see eye-to-eye on. Yet we were not aware of the prime minister's visit to a rare earths element processing plant in Saskatoon. Uh, The prime minister then spoke with Saskatoon's mayor, Charlie Clark, and reporters as well, but not the premier of the province. Dr. Paul Kellogg is a professor at Athabasca University. Uh, He's been working there in the uh, Masters of Arts program, Interdisciplinary Studies. He's an expert in Canadian and Russian politics, making his Real Talk debut this morning. Dr. Kellogg, thanks for making time for
3: us. It's nice to see you here. Nice to see you. Am I I really an expert? I study study very hard uh, to try to figure out very complex problems and if I can make a contribution. I'm happy. Well, word on the street is that you do a good
1: job of taking high level and complex political <laughs> and economic developments and, and and translating them into speak that laypersons can understand. What's your initial response uh, to Premier Moe's disappointment around the prime minister? This goes way deeper than just yesterday's visit.
3: You know, I think this is an opportunity for us to take seriously the question of civility and political discourse, because... Um, I'm kind of surprised that the Premier of Saskatchewan, I'm glad that the Premier of Saskatchewan wanted to be invited to the Tour of Vital Medals. I'm a little surprised because it's almost on the one year and one year ago, uh, he was, the Premier of Saskatchewan, was backing the convoy protests in spite of the fact that we know about the Confederate flags and the swastikas and the profanity-laced uh, um, stickers on the trucks saying a swear word about Trudeau given that it's probably you know in terms of when someone puts my name on a sticker and says a profanity towards my name I probably not going to invite them on the tour that's going to happen a year later but I I, I'm 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 saying this a little bit um tongue-in-cheek because it's an important issue about vital metals and the it's related to the whole just transition discussion. But I'm actually also quite serious. I think we have had a collapse of civil discourse in this country. And it is potentially catastrophic. And we have to find a way to have sharp differences about, you know, things like the metals that are used in wind turbines and all the things that vital metals, as I understand, does the rare earth processing that it does. We can have disagreements about that. We can have disagreements about vaccines. as what the convoy protest is about and do it in such a way that we're not swearing at each other and drawing lines in the sand because um, it's not helpful at all.
1: Well, and I don't and and I would say, I mean, I take your comments seriously. You say you're, you're saying it slightly in jest, but the, the fact of the matter is as well. And Premier Moe's not alone in this. If you listen to the Prairie premiers in particular out of Alberta and Saskatchewan, the assertion has been uh, <laughs> I was going to say over the last several years, I could probably say over the last 50 years uh, that Ottawa has been no help to Alberta. As a matter of fact, that Ottawa is actively trying to kill industry in Alberta. So so maybe from a political strategy standpoint, it serves yeah. the prime minister better to do these news availabilities solo, as opposed to sharing the stage with somebody that's been asserting that he's been trying to kill the jobs in that jurisdiction.
3: I get that. This is a big discussion about the relationship between the uh, government in Ottawa, the federal government and the provinces. It's uh, particularly in the West. This is a discourse that I became uh, quite aware of when I emerged As a professor at Athabasca 15 years ago or so, and I became aware when I moved to Edmonton of the tension around the national, the old national energy policy from the 1980s, et cetera. But there is a big truth here that we all need to confront is that there is no way that any one of the provinces can go it alone economically um i know that there's the Alberta sovereignty act that Daniel Smith and the UCP have just uh, promoted and talking about it's a very probably un probably unconstitutional document etc but it ignores the fact that we you know Rachel Notley and um Alison Redford Alison Redford in her brief term as a uh, uh, premier was actually confronting this. She was saying, you know, we are going to need to develop the economy of Alberta. We're going to need relations with the other provinces in order to simply to get um the oil to tidewater for export and that and that kind of thing. And that can't be done by Alberta on itself mm. by on its own. It cannot be done. So just simply on an economic basis the notion of an autonomous province is not, it's not true. It's not true for anybody. It's not true for Ontario. It's not true for British Columbia. It's not true for anybody. Um, And that takes me back to the discourse question, because um, how do we have these discussions? You know, I've seen, uh, we're we're segueing into a bit to another topic in terms of the just transition. okay. It's what we do. (laughs) The just transition uh, has been angrily compared to the national energy program of the 1980s. I don't think it's a I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. The NEP emerged as a um, complicated attempt at national governance, dealing with national economic development and how to best match up manufacturing, a base, which is mostly based was mostly based on Ontario. It's not entirely true anymore, with the natural resource-rich provinces, particularly Alberta. Regardless of what we say about the pros and cons of the NEP, that's what it was. The just transition is on an entirely different level. It's about confronting the fact that we've got an industry or a series of industries that are finite. We all know that they're finite. There will not be oil sands in perpetuity as something to exploit in northern Alberta. There will not be asbestos In Quebec, in perpetuity, there will not be um, all of the other riches that we have. I mean, is it, we, can,
1: can we can we broaden the conversation to to suggest or point out that with trends we see in fish populations, that the fishing industry may change, that we're probably yes. going to be sa- seeing changes in logging and the timber industry, like like huge aluminum, huge. like 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 the list goes on. It's I mean, everybody makes this conversation. I don't mean to step on your toes here, but everybody makes the conversation about oil and gas all the time, or specifically the oil sands all the time, because it's a it's a group that you can target. It's it's a group yep. that, that you cannot deny has been the economic engine of Canada or one of the huge drivers. uh, But it's also an an easy target with regards to national discourse. But my understanding is that this is about a lot more than that. It's it's about, like you said, millions of Canadians that may see jobs or industries slowly hitting their horizon.
3: I'm old enough to have lived through some of these older transitions. I I used to make my living as a typesetter. Typesetting, which is a term that people don't use anymore because typesetting happens at the little Macintosh computers that we all have or whatever. And I remember when I saw my first Mac Plus, back in the 1980s, I said, wow, my job is gone. And I had a good job. I had a good job. I was well-paid. I was well-compensated. I had benefits. I had security because I could always, if I didn't like my boss, I could leave and get another job as a typesetter. We were in demand. We were not in demand anymore. But there was no discourse. The difference is there was no discourse back then about a just transition away from the you know, the old typesetting industry into, I I had to figure it out on my own. And I think it's really good that we have a discussion about how to properly and in an equitable and fair way transition away from finite industries that we all know are finite. If we think that they're not finite, if we think that this can go on forever with cod or lumber, as you say, it's not just about oil, you know, all the rest of them, then fine, then we don't need to talk about it. But really, does anyone really think that? We all know it's not true. And, um, and I think it's an important discussion that we have to have universally. It's, and also <laughs> one of the things that happens, uh, this is not particular to Canada. There's a really, 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 really interesting discussion that emerged in the United Nations, the United Nations Development Program, I think it was you and uh, about the question of thinking of just transitions on a global Scale because it's not just Alberta, it's not just oil, it's everywhere. I think it's really important. I think, you know, I I noticed before your show started, you had this lovely ad for my university for At the Basket. Thank you very much for that. You got it. And many of my students, maybe almost all of my students, are people who are thinking about their own individual transitions. They're thinking about, "Mm, I've been working here for 20 years. Not quite sure I want to stay. At, maybe I want to upgrade inside my industry. Maybe I'm going to shift to another industry. Mostly adult students. Really interesting life experiences. All as individuals looking at the things that we're all looking at. A very rapidly transforming economy. Very rapidly transforming workplace situation. And we think about ways of how we can re-educate ourselves and change in order to uh, to adapt to that environment. Um,
1: I, I understand that, that change is... Scary for some people. I understand that that people that might not be. And and again, I don't want to paint an entire industry or or the thousands of workers in an industry with one brush. Um, But if you have managed to convince yourself that the only threat to your industry is the federal politicians writing policy and not global markets and demand and trends and innovation and everything else. Uh, Then I think you're really doing yourself a disservice. But again, I might be preaching to the choir on this one. Uh, Dr.
3: Kellogg, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I remember when the pandemic hit full bore back in 2020 when the price of oil went negative for a period of time. It just, the, the price of oil collapsed as demand collapsed in the world system. That was so clearly something that was out of everyone's control. I think we need to focus on that moment and remember and draw the lessons from that. There are big global forces at work that shape everything that we do. They're hard to understand. They're very complex, but we've had a collapse of oil from the um, onset of the pandemic. Then we had a temporary spike in the price of oil because of the war, the tragic war in Ukraine, the Russian tragic, the criminal invasion of Ukraine by Russia, uh, which led to a spike in oil. These things are completely out of our control. There's they, they have impact in our lives they're out of our control we have to know how to navigate them not how to and it's too easy to just point fingers analysis is much more difficult but much more important. Mm. Dr. Paul Kellogg, our guest from Athabasca
1: University. Uh before I thank you for your time. I know your day is jam-packed. Really appreciate you making yourself available. You're also uh you've got a ton of experience uh your research in particular in the politics and history of Russia. And yeah. uh over this weekend obviously appalling developments with an attack on civilian targets including uh an apartment building in the city of Dnipro that claimed the lives of at least 30 people including children. Uh, it's expected that that death toll could grow we're seeing uh, the russians deploy phosphorus bombs on populated neighborhoods i mean this is appalling yesterday sweden obviously holding the presidency of the eu called them uh, characterize them as war crimes uh, your comments generally speaking on these developments the direction that this is going and 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 what you might expect to see from the international community in particular i guess what i'm asking you is what should canadians be focusing on right now
3: We should be focusing on humanitarian aid to ukraine we should be focusing on a call to cancel ukraine's debt so that ukraine can navigate this crisis it is a terrible situation it is um uh, i am absolutely convinced that the only good outcome from this situation is uh, a ukrainian victory if russia wins we're in a terrible situation but um there has to be a sober confrontation with our own history and the history of our alliances if we're going to do this there's a very odd situation in the world where there are some you know Vladimir Putin is widely seen in Canada and Western Europe rightly as a dictator as a an autocrat as someone who is running an imperial operation trying to suppress Ukraine there are many countries in Latin America, Caribbean and Africa who are reluctant to take that step because it puts them in an alliance with the United States and they have in their own histories in Africa and Latin America and the Caribbean experienced exactly the same thing from the United States, the same kind of empire building, the same kind of suppression of national rights, whether it be in, uh, whether it be in Guatemala or, uh, Ecuador or other places like that. So, um, Uh, we have to confront our own history about colonialism and imperialism here while supporting, the. and and, and let me put it this way, let's take advantage, let's learn from the awful situation in Ukraine about the importance of supporting legitimate claims to self-determination and sovereignty. That's what the Ukrainian people are doing. They're saying we want to be sovereign. It's very simple. We want to be sovereign. We want to make our own decisions. Let's learn about that. In terms of our own relations to, I don't know, in Canada, to the indigenous populations whose sovereignty that we have actually held back for many years, or in Latin America and the Caribbean, where we have a very checkered history Mm -hmm. when it comes to some of the small countries down there. If we do that, then, then maybe we can learn something from this terrible situation. But in the first instance, my heart is with the Ukrainian people and my heart and... Efforts are to help them in their terrible struggle.
1: I, I, I can hear it in your voice, and people that are watching this on YouTube can see it. Even just even your body language when we started talking <laughs> about this, it, it's appalling. And, it uh, appalling. And, 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 and to a certain degree, you feel helpless, but I know that that's not the angle or approach that people want to take to simply throw up I,
3: our arms and say, well, what are you going to do? And I'm kind of surprised at being here talking about... Uh, Russia in the 21st century because my research was about Russia in the 19th century and yeah. the early 20th century. But suddenly, there this historical question has become a contemporary question because we have to ask ourselves, where did this autocracy come from? Where did this empire come from? I have developed a, a handful of contacts with some people in Ukraine. I am learning a tremendous amount about empire and empire building in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, in Kyrgyzstan, in many other places in the, in what was the Russian empire. And that has reinforced my, um, understanding of the need to confront empire building here as well. We, we have to get over this. We we've partially gotten over it. There's no more, there's no more formal sort of British empire, but empire as a thought process and as a way of being economically is very much still with us. And, um, it has to we we have to confront it. We have to deal with it here in Canada. If we do, then um, we'll have made a little bit of progress.
1: Such great insight. Uh, I'm grateful for your time, Dr. Paul Kellogg, a professor at Athabasca University. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks for this.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having
1: me. I had a great time. You bet. Uh, okay. That's Dr. Paul Kellogg. You can learn more about Athabasca University and its programs by visiting athabascau.ca. Uh, Coming up in just a moment, Ashley Stewart joins us, investigative journalist with Global News. She is uh, reporting on an absolutely remarkable story, but she's taking Crossfire for it. And she's agreed to come on and talk about it. Uh, You know, I hear about these transitions, these energy transitions. I've told you, I think, before. Well, as a matter of fact, I know I have the personal story of the founding CEO of Kubi Renewable Energy, Jake Kubisky. He's been on this show before. Uh, Long story short, journeyman electrician working uh, a great career in oil and gas and saw the writing on the wall. This this is not intended if you work in oil and gas to make you believe that we believe or that anybody believes that the industry is going to be phased out by Friday. But Jake saw opportunity in renewables and started small and he's built his team up to the largest and most reputable solar installer in Western Canada. Kubi Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life in Alberta, British Columbia. They do big projects in Saskatchewan, commercial, industrial, and a ton of residential. If you want to check out what they can do and get details on that $40,000 interest-free loan, the Canada Greener Homes Grant, they'll do all the paperwork for you. It's never been easier, more affordable, or made more sense to get solar panels up on your roof. You can get a free quote today. Get the ball rolling at Kubi Energy. Ca. We talk a lot about Friesen Brothers and the, the fresh food. All right, we talk about the fresh groceries. We talk about how it's locally sourced whenever possible. We talk about that grab-and-go stuff that Johnny and I love to pick up, whether it's the dill cream carrots or, or whether it's our favorite sandwich, some of those smash burgers or the pizzas. But what about house plants, Johnny, you know there are a lot of health benefits to putting live plants in your living space oh i know you know in the workplace as well Uh, what it does to the air quality in there and of course just you know generally the aesthetic did you know that friesen brothers has flower markets that they'll take your breath away you can find out details on those and a whole lot more great resources on their website today friesen.com And if you're looking to make a life improvement in your living space, you're sick of being disorganized. You're sick of looking at the bare walls. Maybe you need another bed, but you don't have room to throw down a big box spring. No matter what solution you're looking for, they can provide it at California Closets, custom closets and storage solutions for your entire home whether it's the kitchen or whether it's your family living space like we did stunning built-in cabinets maybe it's a total custom closet makeover maybe you're looking to put a murphy bed down in the rec room or transform your garage nobody does it better than the experienced team behind the exquisite designs of california closets you can get a free consultation started today. That's what we did years ago. It has paid off in spades. We're thrilled with our California closets. This next story is, is uh, I don't know how to say it. It's stunning. Uh, Ashley Stewart, an investigative journalist, has blown the doors off a web of Canadian doctors that are undermining the fight against COVID-19. Just a a few days ago, she updated the story at globalnews.ca. Ashley's originally from New Zealand, now working for Global News. Prior to moving to Canada, she lived in the Middle East, Japan, Indonesia, and she spent much of last year in Ukraine covering the war. She focuses on stories about mental health, marginalized communities, and disinformation, and we're thrilled she's able to make time for us today. As a matter of fact, it's her Real Talk debut. Ashley, thanks for making time for us, and a good morning to you.
0: Good morning to you as well.
1: How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. Um, I I, I want to talk to you about this doctor's story. This is this is I'm mean, not just your average bit of reporting. The story's huge, and then there have been obviously some some consequences, whatever you want to put it. Like you've had you've had to put up with some BS, I guess is how I might put it candidly. Uh, but let me ask you first. I hope you don't mind talking about your time in Ukraine. We were just discussing with Dr. Paul Kellogg what's what's going on there. Um, what an experience to be to be reporting. Uh, from a war zone in, in a circumstance that is a situation that is still so much, very much active. Uh, how do you wrap your mind with, with the uh, professional and personal experiences you had around what you saw on the weekend?
0: I mean, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's journalists are under attack on, on all fronts at the moment. So whether you're actually in a proper war zone or you're fielding, uh, death threats, abuse, just nonstop stop um, criticism, really. Um, I mean, there, there are definitely parallels to both. It's, it's kind of you just got to have your defenses up and, and, and know what's right and wrong.
1: You've been uh, an investigative journalist, obviously, for a long time. You've got a ton of experience reporting all around the world. Has, has the dynamic uh, between the public and journalists demonstrably changed? In the past couple of years and if so Is it is it COVID or is that oversimplifying it
0: I think that there were problems Before COVID but COVID exacerbated Them and to be honest I think That in Canada Which is strange to me compared To everywhere I've lived it's worse here I think people feel like There is such an incredible freedom Of speech in Canada that they can say Whatever they want they're empowered to say Whatever they want so they do And that sometimes is a great thing and people can be lovely but sometimes it can be really bad and the 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 death threats the abuse the 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 criticism that is not constructive does not bother me in the slightest to be completely honest it means I've hit a nerve I'm doing my job um it, I, it's kind of water water off a duck, duck's back but it's very easy for me to say this when I've conditioned myself as a journalist over so many years to be used to this kind of abuse a lot of other journalists are not and i just think that at the end of the day it's not okay why are you are sitting behind a keyboard sending death threats why are you you know like it's just unwarranted
1: i know you're not saying this uh i just want to say we never want to get to a point and i think it's so important for us to push back uh, where we have to have journalists who are, who are just doing their jobs and, and and obviously I'm biased providing an incredibly important service to say i get used to it or you get used to it you know the last thing we want to do is to start normalizing this type of thing especially for a young crop of journalists or the next generation of storytellers that are coming in that are taking a look at, at, at some of the blowback that you've received, some of the blowback that your colleagues have received, in particular women and women of color across the industry, across the country and around the world. And these young people, these talented storytellers are going, am I going to really sign up for this?
0: For sure. And also social media has not made it any easier. I mean, in many ways, it's made our jobs easier because we have access much easier access to a to a to people like to news gathering and things like that. It's made our jobs easier, but it's also made it harder because we have to wade through the the bullshit, as you said, to to just be able to do our jobs. And and you're completely right. It shouldn't be normalised, but it is, and it has been. And when you go into journalism school now, you're told you have to have a thick skin, you have to ignore it, you have to just kind of move forward. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. So I have to say, the 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 hatred and stuff like that over the weekend was was far less than what I expected. I I was very surprised at the amount of positive feedback that came from this story, and and the the, the small minority of of trolls. Let's be honest, it was trolls. Were probably five percent out of ninety five percent kind of positive feedback. So
1: I'm happy to hear it. And, and, yeah. and, and maybe the public's waking up uh, about the power and importance of positive support. I don't know. Maybe that's my Pollyanna understanding of this. But I'm happy to see that, that people indicate that they've got these storytellers' backs because the stories are incredibly important. You know, we've spent a lot of time, Canadian media has... Uh, focusing on on the fight uh, between one prominent individual and an Ontario professional college. Of course, that's Dr. Jordan Peterson and the College of Psychologists of Ontario. You're reporting on another one. This is the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario uh, that have taken court action against at least four doctors. I know you'll update me if the story's changing, but but can you bring us up to speed? These are essentially doctors that were allegedly uh, writing false. Uh, COVID-19 exemptions, vaccine exemptions for people based on false information or disinformation, right?
0: There's a huge range of the reasons that these doctors are facing disciplinary hearings. Um, the most, yeah, the most common is writing false vaccine exemptions and making inflammatory statements on social media about the vaccine and, and linking to studies that aren't necessarily peer reviewed or, or just using false information to promote this idea that the vaccine kills people. And there are this this small group of Canadian doctors who are, who no longer have active licenses that are behind most of the disinformation that we're seeing, which comes through with this list that has been circulating for months and months about this this list of dead uh, Canadian doctors, 80 of, of, of whom supposedly died from the COVID vaccine. And this, this list is not hard to debunk. I mean, you, you can Google 10 of these names and find that they had – long-standing battles with cancer they had some of them committed suicide and it was completely unrelated to anything that was going on with COVID. um i spoke to a lot of loved ones who say that the their the doc adop- uh sorry that their family members who died were so pro-vaccine and they would be so upset to see their names being used in this way it's just these these are real people that that lived and died they're not just random caricatures on the internet and their families are trying to grieve their losses and and are now being sent hate mail for, about the vaccine, which they're like, what are you talking about? We have no idea what's going on because the death was not related to the vaccine. So it's this—it's j- just a really horrible cycle that we've got ourselves into. And then people are constantly believing it. Like more people and more people are, are coming around to thinking, oh, well, if it's newsprint, then it must be true yeah. because this list has appeared in this fringe Canadian newspaper and it's, it's just snowballing.
1: Uh, we're talking to Ashley Stewart, investigative journalist, Global News. I want to re- refer people in particular to your your Twitter account. It's one of my favorite follows at ash underscore stewart underscore. Back on January 14th, um, you know, just a few days ago, you 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 tweeted about this big conspiracy theory, the one that asserts that this COVID vaccine could have killed more than 80 Canadians and uh, Canadian doctors, rather. Um, obviously, you've spent a ton of time on this, months investigating and speaking with the doctors' families, as as you just detailed. And then you provide some of the links and some of the information so people can educate themselves and, and better understand the story. Um, predominantly, these doctors seem to be in B.C. and Ontario, though not limited uh, to those provinces. Uh, you know, we talk about the trust that people have and, and, and even from the time that that children are very young. Uh, We teach them that there are certain groups or people they can trust. I recognize that marginalized communities will have different takes on this. I recognize people with lived experience will have different takes on this. But we typically tell kids that you can trust the police. You can trust your teachers. You can trust your doctor. And so when these trusts are broken in any of those contexts, obviously we feel the magnitude of that. Uh, What sense do you get of, of what's motivating these doctors? Is this a concerted or combined effort are these are are these renegades that just sort of happen to have been birds that have flocked together is is it a big organization I mean the more that you've dug into this what have you come to understand about the motivation behind this disinformation coming straight out of doctor's offices
0: I think it's very difficult to ascertain what their motivation is. And I Mm. don't want to kind of make assumptions or anything like that, but it is very clear that a lot of them are feeding off this public adoration for, for what they're saying. They're feeding off the virality of the theories that they're posting. They are almost performance artists in some ways i don't even know if they believe what they're saying or they're just feeding it to very persuasive minds um i believe most of them are linked a lot of the the doctors that are that are acting in this way all then appear in videos together and share videos together a lot of them are being represented by the same lawyer like this is I do believe it's a concentrated effort. I think it's a concentrated effort to sow distrust in the public health sector, which is a really sad place to be in. Um, at the end of the day, these doctors do have ethics to uphold, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. I, like, there's a lot of arguments that everyone should have the freedom to say whatever they want, but it, but we're we're fighting a pandemic where where there are there are ethics to uphold. There is truth, and there is untruth, You know?
1: Yeah. I, I'm uh I, I'm wrestling with something right now between my ears because w- one of the doctors and I almost want to do the finger quotes there uh, that has specifically targeted you and been a real pain in your ass has been a pain in my ass for like ten years and I hate doing anything or saying anything that'll make him famous. Uh, but this guy is a conspiracy theorist. Uh, he he you know he's he's he's, he's been defaming people uh, for a long time, including journalists and politicians. He's a disgrace to his profession. He's been sanctioned before. There's been court action against him. I mean, the guy is an absolute gong show. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, people can take a look at professional credentials he has held in past or take a look at jobs he has held in past. And unfortunately, it implies that there's some credibility there. The real war that's being waged, I think, here, and you know it because you're on the front line, is keeping members of the public informed with credible information that, that they need to know. And that's obviously why this is such an issue, uh, because you have people, medical professionals, that are actively countering public health messaging. And obviously, the the, the consequences of that can, can be very serious. Where do you see the conversation going? Are you optimistic that the average Canadian understands where to find reputable information? information and where to see the red flags when they're waving
0: well i think this is the problem i mean you've nailed it on the head right there is that people as soon as they see the the word doctor before someone's name they automatically just think right well that person is credible i can listen to them no one's going to spend time to google anything the pandemic has shown us that some random theory appears on the internet People share it. like just they don't even think they just click the share button on social media. And this is the issue. And I think I had a couple of comments come back to me after the story in the weekend saying, why are you even bothering uh, the, anti, the anti-vaxxer the anti group, whatever you want to call them? They're already sitting in their own ways. They're not going to listen to reason." And that's 100% true, but I didn't write it for them. I wrote it for rational minds who might see this and be easily persuaded to believe it. It is not for the anti-vaccine groups that that already have their minds made up and will not listen to facts. It's for more people who will be persuaded to listen to it.
1: Uh, as mentioned, uh, Ashley Stewart's reporting on this has has extended. You're, you're you're well beyond a year on this. I mean, I remember you were first. You're, you're reporting first wound up on my radar in in like early January of 22. Uh, so really, this is something. Uh, number one, can I just say I'm grateful that your outlet is giving you the opportunity and the assignments. I know it's a lot of heavy lifting to take that. I mean, what would you say, Ash? Like hundreds of hours of work that has to go into staying on top of a story like this, but because of your dogged reporting on it, um, you know, through the winter months of last year, through the summer, and the abuse that you continue to take on it, we still have a, a better, and we have a more fulsome understanding of how big and how serious this story is. It has implications with provincial health ministries. It has implications with professional colleges, obviously, and of course with members of, of the general public. And so thanks. I, I hope enough people say this. Thanks for what you do.
0: Thank you for saying that because it is. it does get – I mean, sometimes you just think, why am I bothering? Surely people know that this is not true, and I don't need to spend 100 hours or whatever it is, like – like drudging through the absolute cesspits that, that, that is Twitter these days. I mean, it's just sometimes you look at it and it really does just give you such de- like depressive thoughts about where society is going, especially because I, I say this in the article as well. the the college is not holding these doctors to account. They say they can't. They say they need to be more empowered with uh, policy options updated by the Ministry of Health. The Ministry of Health is not responding to anything. I mean, they're deflecting questions from me. I've asked for follow-ups from them over the last 48 hours. They've just completely ignored me. So the system is broken somewhere and it's not going to get better until it's fixed. And I don't know what that fix is. I, I think the Ministry of Health needs to step in. I think this has to be the the line in the sand. Things a, a, a year ago were just as bad, if not worse. Sorry, uh. just they were just as bad a year ago, yeah. And they are getting worse now. And yeah. it's ridiculous when we're three years into a pandemic. The like, how are we at this point?
1: And and I know you're probably not looking to like pick fights with professional colleges, uh. But but isn't it also interesting, Ashley, that? You've got, on one hand, I referenced the other story, and people may say apples and oranges, but also not really, not 100%. The College of Psychologists of Ontario uh, telling Dr. Jordan Peterson they'll strip him of his credentials unless he reeducates himself on social media. Obviously, he's not going to do it. Why would he? This is yet another license for him to print money. But the college isn't afraid to dig its heels in, and it's not backing down. Yet you've got the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario saying, well, what do you want us to do? When you've got medical doctors actively combating efforts to fight COVID-19 and the college is throwing up its hands? Wow, what a case study.
0: I I mean, they say, the college says that it's got something like 50 active cases um, against 30 physicians. Still, I mean, they they are still dragging on. This has been three years into a pandemic. How are we in a place where 30 doctors in one province alone cannot be reprimanded or disciplined or whatever for their actions like they in the meantime they're still continuing to promote these views everywhere people on the internet i'm not going to know that they're under investigation for these for these false views people are just listening to them and taking what they say as as gospel and it's it's sad i mean we we are just at a complete standstill here where we're people are allowed to say whatever they want and there are no consequences
1: you can follow ashley stewart on twitter uh on instagram as well and of course you can read her great reporting at globalnews.ca thanks for making time for us look forward to the next time our paths cross
0: thank you very much for having me i appreciate
2: it
1: yeah you got it that's investigative journalist ashley stewart and of course, you know how it is. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Annalise Cleanbill. She's going to join us next. Obviously, mm-hmm. she was a journalist for a long time and, and a masterful storyteller. She's got a sub stack now you'll have to check out. I'll pick her brain on this too. But you mm-hmm. know, for a lot of people that would be... Um, you know, whether it's vaccine hesitancy or whether it's questioning the, the science around the development of of, of, of uh, policy, you know, public health policy, uh, whether it's people that are bu- buying into or believing these conspiracy theories about the more than 80 Canadian doctors that have died over the last year. I mean, the implications, obviously, and all the that, other that stories they died like as a result of the COVID vaccine
2: collapsing, reporters fainting, DeMar like Hamlin, these everybody. videos online and then you go through them and they're from like all the footage is from five years ago, but people keep posting them. They don't even look into it. So what about this one
1: from Ashley? So Ashley, this is just again on January 14th, as I mentioned about, I guess, you know, five days ago or whatever it was. Um, And she says, uh, you know, for example, these, I mean, these are heartbreaking stories, right? Uh, Quote, Delaney Barth found her mother's body after she committed suicide. So she knows exactly how she died, you know, IE not the vaccine. You know, Delaney also believes the stress of anti-vaxxers asking for vaccine exemptions pushed her mother over the edge. Quote, for someone now to do this, to imply that her death was vaccine related, it just feels so callous and cruel. I mean, Ashley did reporting on other, you know, she said of the 48 doctors, this is her reporting on January 14th. Of the 48 doctors, these are deep dives for journalists to do. Think of the work that goes into this. Of the 48 doctors that Ashley could determine their cause of death. 10 died from cancer, three in car accidents, one while climbing K2, you know, one of the world's highest peaks, one drowned, five had heart attacks, six died by suicide. Tragically, you know, others battled either ongoing or abrupt illnesses, or the family preferred not to say one of the doctors wasn't even vaccinated. It's hard to get killed by the vaccine when you're not vaccinated.
2: I mean, we saw this a week ago with CTV, Jessica Robb. She had she had an issue on air. She almost fainted. This is
1: a local reference. Yeah, CTV Edmonton report. Seven days yeah. ago.
2: And immediately, pe- the vaccine, the vaccine. And she, yeah. like, people now have to come out and say, hey. And she didn't divulge her private information, but she, yeah. you know, she wants to because <laughs> people have to literally come out and say, no, it's a heart problem it's my diet I didn't get enough water that day like people have been fainting and passing away from different things for years what about and ha- now all of a sudden it's just the vaccine, yeah. the vaccine by the way the vaccine, uh, shout the out, out to
1: Jessica Rob I haven't talked about that publicly She's doing I, know, that. I know she was trying to kind of keep that story out of the spotlight but Narimanissa her I mean, she anchor had to come out. on the desk that night deserved a lot of credit as well for how she handled a tough situation I mean we talked to Drex uh, a radio personality out of Vancouver on this show like a month ago mm-hmm. uh, what's the guy 42 or something he's a young fella mm-hmm. and and uh, had a heart attack, had a full-blown heart attack. And, uh, you know, the people coming at him suggesting it was because he was vaccinated. He's like, I got vaccinated like 18 months ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, eventually, everybody who gets vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I know that I'm, you know, th- this audience, I don't think, you know, I, we're all going to be nodding our heads probably. Every, you know, what a boring talk show. Where everybody agrees. But can we all agree that everybody who got vaccinated is going to die? Mm-hmm. We are all going to die. Uh, and if you die, you know, uh, 18 months or 180 months or, or 500 months after getting vaccinated, uh, life will still catch up with you. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot you can do about that.
2: If you don't want to get a needle, that's fine. But we're talking about the most peer reviewed, the most globally researched vaccine in the history of human history so i mean i don't know i yesterday i saw something about you know the metals inside it that'll kill you in three years and it's All just right. it's we're going down it's no man's I life. sort of th-
1: I, I, to be honest i thought we were past this point we i thought it I was thought that at the, the start was, was bad past this point
2: yes yeah, like ashley says i feel like it's getting worse
1: yeah uh coming up uh, annalise Klingbill in just a quick second these conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at local environmental services some people say it's only garbage how often do you think about the big garbage bins behind your favorite mall or restaurant or retail location well if you're running the business you probably think about them all the time i was talking to a pal the other day johnny i gave him shit. i gave him shit because he runs a business and he was bitching about how much he's paying for garbage removal behind his business and he's not with the local environmental services and i'm looking in the eye but i almost shook him by the shoulders buddy He's a regular real talker. I said, what are you waiting for? He said, all right, fine. I'm going to go to localenvironmental.ca and request a quote. And I said, yeah, like I've been telling you to do every single day, pal. You can almost guarantee they're going to save you money. They're family owned. When you call them on the phone, you get a real life human that picks it up. They'll even remember your business, maybe ask you about your family. It's all part of dealing with local environmental services and keeping it local. You can learn more about it. Request a quote today, Alberta, Saskatchewan." localenvironmental.ca and Speaking of family-owned businesses, boy are we ever proud to partner with the team at landscapeedmonton.ca. That's Eden Landscaping. Mike and his team have been working together more than 20 years and uh, you know from modern to traditional design or everything in between their projects have one thing in common that's happy clients. I said to Mike, what's uh, the, the best compliment you could ever receive? He says, well, obviously it's a referral. But I said, how many customers have you had that have brought their business back, the return business, folks that maybe hired you to landscape their starter home and then landscape their one-up home and then landscape the forever home? And he's smiling and nodding. You know, those relationships come over time. Those relationships happen when a company like Eden Landscaping earns your trust. They know this is an investment, but it's an investment in your future, in the enjoyment of your property, and of course in the value and curb appeal of your home. If you want to get your project started in the spring, today's the perfect time to contact Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Annalise Klingbeal is uh I mean, boy, she's she's a, a master storyteller herself, and we're gonna get into some provincial politics with her. We're gonna talk about getting out to the mountains. Uh, she's also done a lot of reporting on politics, and she's paid attention to the news cycle for many years. The co-founder of Champion Communications and PR, an Alberta-based uh, communications and public affairs firm, uh, she's got her Substack newsletter, Go Outside, and we're so grateful she's made time for the show this morning. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for joining yeah. us here on Real Talk.
4: Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, I, I, I got you, You've got some good sponsors. I got to talk to. I know you heard the strategist. I got to talk to Corey and Carter about uh, up in their sponsorship.
1: You know, they've, they, they come on here and um, they're they're masters. Uh, We have, we have our real talk round table presented by urban timber. And the last time that the strategists sat on our Real Talk roundtable, the number of urban timber mentions that they made, I think, fulfilled our contractual obligations for about a year and a <laughs> half. So it's great. I've actually been working really hard to get it. There's a certain airline that is often mentioned on the strategists. And, I, and, I, and I'm really trying to get our show actually sponsored by that airline <laughs> so I can one up Steven and Zane and, and Corey
4: oh yeah that would
1: be good i can't tell you and this is uh i i you know i I don't know if zane velge is going to hear us or not because typically he's sitting in the host chair and and it's nothing against zane uh but you guest hosting the strategist the most recent episode that i heard was masterful you killed it it was so much fun uh to listen to is uh, did you fancy yourself as hopping in on the strategist before you've been waiting (laughs) and chomping at the bit to host that podcast
4: no, it was, it, I, I got to be honest, and they're going to hate that I'm telling you this, I haven't listened um, for <laughs> for a while. I used to listen, like, way back, and then um, I had a baby, like, about a year ago, and my podcast taste like, super changed. I was not listening to any political podcasts, I was not listening to my, like, regular crime podcast rotation, um, so when I got the call, the last-minute call from Carter last week saying, hey, do you want to host, I said... Sure. But uh, I I haven't listened. And he said, that is no problem. Um, So yeah, it was fun. They're they're fun. The feedback was that I held my own against them, which is um, hard, as you know. (laughs) They're uh, they got a lot a lot of opinions, but yeah, it was uh, it was fun to kind of put that journalism hat back on and uh, grilled them and asked them some questions.
1: Yeah, I mean you, you didn't you didn't just hold your own, uh, you owned it, and I thought it was great. Um, I want I would bring up a couple examples, but I don't want to spoil the listening experience for people, so they can download and check out the most recent episode of the Strategist. They've been great friends to this show and to this podcast, and and I just thought you did uh, a, a really masterful job. We, we were talking, uh, and you were talking about the Danny Bucks, and this program launches tomorrow uh in the province of alberta it's supposed to anyway this online portal where the government is set to to dole out about 900 million dollars uh to alberta families that qualify it's drawing comparisons for obvious reasons to uh the ralph bucks uh several years ago a couple of decades ago here in the province of alberta and more recently mo money the scott mo payments in the province of saskatchewan generally speaking now, I know you keep your eye on on politics and and some of the the factors that can prompt initiatives like this and, and maybe some of the the spin-off benefits for government, maybe some of the risks for government and in particular this premier. where's your head at as on the eve of this program?
4: Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, tomorrow's going to be interesting because we all know anytime a new portal, like anytime you've got to go and sign on and log on, Twitter is just nuts. The text, the uh, the group chats about, have you gotten on? Um, my my friends and I are like that whenever camping goes on, obviously this is a little bit different. Um, but I think it's gonna be really interesting to see. I mean, they've built this Portal. Um, they say they spent a couple months on it, which is why the payments didn't happen. I think it was in November when this was announced. Um, and it's interesting because they're kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit. Like I think there are other mechanisms that they could have gotten this money out faster. So I certainly think uh, tomorrow is going to be really interesting to see what that what that rollout is like. If there are tech uh, tech issues, that sort of thing, for sure.
1: Are you are you preferring the the vernacular, Danny Dollars? I was I called. That danny bucks and promoting your appearance on the show here today what are you going with
4: danny dollars has a better ring to it but i mean ralph bucks anyone who was in alberta in uh, 2005 2006 i think it's uh it's easy enough to get the two the okay two yeah mixed up. I,
1: no i agree with you i'm a, I'm a fan of alliteration and and, and yeah. like things like toastmasters and things like that uh, okay. i think that they, they teach you that you can have effective messaging with so we'll go danny dollars how do the Danny Dollars, uh, as far as we know, like acknowledging they haven't been doled out yet, acknowledging that it all starts on Wednesday. Um, how does it differ in 2023 versus what we saw from Premier Ralph Klein back in 2006?
4: Yeah, good question. I mean, it's it's a totally different time. And for any of your listeners who were here in 2006, um, you see that I was, I think on the strategist, I said I was in junior high. And when yeah. I went back and looked at the days, I was not. I was in high school. Um, in 2006, I think I was 16. I remember getting the money. Um, it went, so my friends were all spending their $400 on fun stuff. And I, uh had had some injuries to my vehicle, and so my oh. car payments. And I actually um, talked to my sister into giving me a little bit of hers because um, we shared a car, which is was was quite funny. But anyways, it just different time, right? The the Ralph bucks they were a prosperity bonus. Um, the the Danny dollars are an affordability payment. You know, two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven in the province of Alberta, very different than now. We're what almost three years into COVID. I think the timing is super different, and then the programs themselves. Were very different. Um, I was I was reading back to kind of refresh on Ralph books. Every single Albertan got Ralph dollars except prisoners, is what I read. I'm not sure if anyone has looked into where um, prisoners fit into Danny dollars. I it's because be no one would stick
1: up for prisoners, right?
4: Yeah. Well, and and think about it too, right? Like 17, 18 years ago, it was a different time, but it, everyone got it, and so I was under the age of 18. Um, to the best of my memory, like all my friends, I think the money would have went in checks to our parents, but they gave us all the money. Like it was a prosperity bonus. You literally had, I, I don't know if you um, remember, but you had like um, retailers taking advantage of it, you know, being oh, yeah. like, hey, come come, spend your $400 here. You had ad campaigns. Um, you had like hotels getaway like it, you were spending that money on fun stuff for the most part and maybe a little bit of that was the age that i was we were 16 400
1: dollars was a lot of money
4: um but i think the general feeling you can probably speak to it better than i in alberta was like cool this is extra money we can spend it on fun stuff
1: I mean, I- I mean I you um have officially I think I'm gonna put you not right at the top of the list because I've heard some some even more I mean, some really compelling stories. And and again, I know that we're having some fun here and I don't mean to make light of this, but but as a as a talk show host over the years this has surfaced and some people, you know, you say, What did you spend your Ralph Bucks on? And then someone'll say, uh, you know, I, I was able to get my power turned back on or, or, or we were able to heat our home or the kids were able to have fresh produce and you go, Oof, like That's, I think, an important reminder. Um, And then, of course, that's relevant now, too, uh, Mm -hmm. to the cost of living and inflation, the cost of groceries. And and so I don't make light of that. But I would say you're right near the top of my list of people that made practical choices and practical decisions with their Ralph bucks. Um, Mine, I vowed that I would uh, pay as few uh, other dollars into government coffers as possible. And so I invested in a radar detector. Uh, that's what I spent my Ralph bucks on, all 400 bucks of it, on the like the sexiest, most tech radar detector. It plugged into the lighter, and uh, Johnny, were you? You weren't in Alberta. You were you were uh, just a young gaffer in Ontario at that point. I no, think, I right? didn't get to
2: experience the Ralph bucks. You didn't but, get your but 400. I'm just bucks. laughing because <laughs> you and the radar
4: detector. It's, oh, it's a good like personality test for people. It like, is. Like, were, you, were you in Alberta at that time? People, I think, of a certain age, right? You know, I think obviously parents, you spend it on diapers, formula, whatever, but like people of a certain age who were doing well in 2005, 2006, or I, you know, I was working a minimum wage job um, at the mall and, and saving up my car repairs were like $600. And that was a lot of money on my minimum wage salary. So Here's what my four hundred dollars went to, and then my sister, generous sister, kicked in two hundred. But I think to to speak to the present day, it's a totally different time, right? We've had COVID. Um, we're we're entering into almost three years of that. A lot of people are struggling. You have inflation. You have a government that I would argue has made a lot of things more expensive than it was, um, you know, three four years ago. And then she's introducing this program that leaves out almost two million Albertans. So. It's, it, it's it's a, it's a totally different program. I think the money, you know, this is a near one billion dollar program. Um, so the actual cost is similar, but they're they're two very different programs. And with this one, um, I guess for listeners who aren't aware, the the eligibility I think is combined household income of one hundred eighty thousand dollars, right? And then it's seniors that get it, and it's parents that get it. Like you have to have a child under the age of eighteen. So if you're if if it's twenty twenty three and you're a single person and you're making minimum wage, you don't get this money. Um, And I, I, I think that's a problem. It leaves out a lot of people. And I think fundamentally, it's very different um than than Ralph Blacks. And and we can argue, I I would argue both are vote buying schemes. Um, but in this case you're leaving you're leaving a lot of people out. And I think um this government is going after people who they, they need votes from, their their seniors and their parents.
1: Yeah, I mean reindexing age is is a storyline that's significant. Uh, But it's flying under the radar a little bit. I know that the government will be mentioning it a ton in the next little bit. Um, and, And you're absolutely right. Just because, you know, people will say, well, listen, don't underestimate the value of these payments because a lot of people are really struggling right now. And that is true. And that is a fact. But that doesn't mean that this isn't a vote buying scheme. Right. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to say that people can't use the money, but but also, you know, I can't ignore comments. Like we've got one in our live chat right now, for example. Well, I mean, we've got a ton in there. Uh, but Justin, for example, watching us on YouTube, says not to mention the sheer waste that this program is. You want to make things more affordable. Why not invest the surplus into education or health care or cap those damn insurance rates? Uh, I mean, these are all things that have changed, in insurance in particular under the previous premier, uh, that have made a big difference in people's bottom line and, and not in a good way. And so you have to wonder if this is damage control five months out from an election.
4: Well, and the, the other big difference is the Ralph bucks were mailed out, you got a $400 check, this is $100 per month. And we talked about this on the strategist, um, Corey and I had a different opinion than Carter, but uh, you know, as, as the communication person, like the bigger number is flashier. So people getting that $600 is different than that $100 per month, which they literally are going to get in April. In May, oh, what happens in May? An election, and then it ends in June. Um, I think, I think the timing and the way we're doing it hundred dollars per month—and and one could argue, you know, okay, I get that hundred dollars. Um, th- 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 this month is going to go to this thing that the UCP has made more expensive. This month is going to go to my insurance. It's like. Th- I, I just think it's hard to square that you have a government that has made a lot more expensive and then they're like, here's $100 to a select group of people. You're leaving out 2 million Albertans. Um, and I think the other thing just in researching this that, I don't know if you remember this, I did not remember this because I don't think I read it, but when Ralph were mailed out, they came with a letter. Do you remember this?
1: I vaguely remember. Yeah, so, th-
4: so the letter, it said, um, I'll read it to you here. Dear Albertan, enclosed is your Alberta 2005 resource rebate. This $400 per person rebate is being provided by the government of Alberta as a non-taxable one-time bonus to all Albertans in recognition of their role in building this province. Congratulations and thank you for helping build this province." Right, so even even the tone of that, it's like, hey, here's $400, thanks for building this province, um, is a very different feel than, hey, Everything costs more expensive. Anyone who has to buy groceries knows that. Anyone who puts gas in their car knows that. Anyone who pays car insurance knows that. Anyone who has kids in in school paying school fees knows that. And and here's a hundred dollars to um you know some of you if you're a senior and if you have a child.
1: It is it is risky. I'd be I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in in the premier's office and these policy decisions are happening when they're when they're cooking up the plan. Uh, to do something like this, and then and then to say, because because on one hand, Annalise, it's obviously <laughs> to state the obvious, more expensive to pay everybody off or to pay everybody out or to to share some of this surplus with Albertans, uh, more expensive, yes. But once you start pigeonholing it or picking and choosing who's going to qualify, I mean, even one hundred and eighty thousand dollars is a household income, uh, here's where I walk out onto thin ice. But depending on people's circumstances. Uh, for some people, 180 grand is like all the money in the world. They'd be perfectly fine and for a lot of other people, they're making 185,000 as a combined family income. Um, you know they're gonna be paycheck to paycheck and, and obviously we can have a ton of different conversations about that. Um, seniors, what about somebody that's uh, 10 years shy? of 65, but has health issues, but they don't qualify for age? What about somebody that's been laid off? What about somebody that has incurred family expenses? A hot water tank goes out and then the, you know, the roof starts leaking or whatever the point is once you start picking and choosing who's getting the money, I think that you take political risks as well. And no matter how much you intended to have positive, positive messaging around a program, you could, you could still end up getting really nailed to the floor by, by some of the things that the public might have to say about it in criticism.
4: Yeah. I mean, those, those background conversations would have been super interesting because you could argue, you know, instead of um, this $600 for, for, you know, this segment like what if we did 300 to everyone or whatever um i i do think it I, it would have been very interesting to be a fly on the wall in the decision of who who gets this money because that that conversation was not ha- happening um in 2005 2006 with Ralph Box they they went to every single Albertan except prisoners
1: yeah let me ask you i i forgot about the no prisoners thing but yeah. i guess that's kind of the point you're making is that you know nobody was really talking about them i think that would be probably different now um in so in 06 they're mailed out uh, one lump sum 400 bucks for everybody Uh, saskatchewan as far as i remember you can remind me i'm sure uh mail i think you just had to make sure that you filed your taxes because some people were were embarrassing themselves inadvertently being like i didn't get my check and then people would always respond to them on twitter like maybe you should file your taxes um This new online portal, you talked about it on The Strategist. Revenue Canada, I'm sure, could have handled it. The government of Alberta wanted to build its own. Uh, There's a lot of storylines that could spin off of that. Um, It's an opt-in as opposed to an opt-out, which leads me to believe that some people may leave the money on the table, so to speak, without even realizing it. And then, of course, there's the potential for scams, right? Yeah, and
4: the scam one is... um this one wasn't even on my radar, and then I saw a tweet yesterday um, about someone who had already gotten a text. They it was a screenshot of the text that said like, "Hey, um, you click this link and you'll get your six hundred dollar payment." And they tweeted it being like, I, "I know I don't qualify, so I know that this is this is not for me. Like this is a scam." But how many people are gonna are gonna be clicking that? And then Carter brought up, and people can listen to the podcast. But Carter brought up like seniors and people, and and when he was bringing up his uh, his mother-in-law, His mother-in-law. Is thinking, yeah is poor, poor Ruth I, I did not defend Ruth the ah. way I should have I was told after but I was thinking of my own granny right who's in who's in long-term care um she doesn't have she doesn't have a computer so how I was actually talking to my parents yesterday how are we gonna sort that out but I think this whole opt-in nature you're gonna have a lot of people who um, don't realize or you're going to have, you know, that mom with several kids who's working a few different jobs, who doesn't have the time to do like it, you're just missing people. And I don't understand why they wouldn't just send out checks And, and Saskatchewan, I think it was last year, they did their $500 affordability checks. And my understanding is those automatically what if you're over 18 and you'd file taxes you got it in the mail so why why not do that i know the ucp has said um the canada revenue agency their platform would delay the payments but that being said they've also said they're going to use cra data to verify like if you're eligible or not um so again is this just like this government can't cooperate and do anything with the feds and that's what this is about so uh just back full circle to the first point we were talking about it's going to be really interesting on wednesday to see how this portal that they've spent a couple months building how how the
1: rollout of that goes i think i mean i i uh i can't say i can only speculate but i i have to assume that though it might be easier to do it through cra and existing infrastructure that that's got to be exactly what it is like like actually the the irony of of Ottawa administering an Alberta made initiative for Albertans in a positive way. In other words, the CRA is depositing money into your bank account as opposed to the GOA. Uh, I bet you that that has to factor in, don't you think? I mean, it does. You oh, know- I th-
4: yeah, I think for sure, but this is where, and, um, like I I would love to know how much this is costing. I don't know if journalists have asked, I don't know if they're filing Forbes, but how much is it costing to build this like, maybe it's existing software, I don't know. But they say they've been spending a couple months fine tuning it. How much are we spending on like this made in Alberta solution? Um, and is that money that could have gone to the people that need it? Like that minimum wage worker who doesn't have kids, who does not qualify for this, uh, this payment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Um, I, I'm so grateful for your time. We're talking to Annalise Cleanbell. If you're just tuning in, maybe live streaming on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets. Uh, I hope that people already know uh, about your Substack. It's fantastic. Go outside.substack.com. Um, I already sent uh, your article back on January 10th, when to book your 2023 camping trips. I sent that to our our WhatsApp group chat, the, the, the Outdoorsman Social Club, and we've been using your great information to help plan out our getaway for, for this upcoming summer. And I love the piece you've just posted, Moraine Lake Road Closure Highlights Park Canada's Difficult, balancing act people can read it themselves at gooutside.substack.com. of course this just a short time ago parks canada making the announcement actually i think it was maybe uh baff national park that made the announcement in particular but due to safety concerns they say negative experiences uh, caused by 24-hour demand for parking in particular i even saw the, the grizzly bears referenced on this uh personal vehicles won't be allowed on moraine lake road in summer 2023 much ado about nothing a big deal uh what's your take on this story
4: i think it's i think it's interesting and in, um i i expanded on um in in go outside today there's so many different threads here i i it's, i at the end of the day it's a long time coming um anyone who's been to moraine lake recently i think knew that this needed to happen anyone who's paid attention to like the park management plan stuff at banff um knows that changes are going to happen the park is too popular it's too busy and it's a national park right so you can't build uh more parking lots there as uh, as some have suggested um so I mean, I, th- there is a lot of people that are upset about it. There was also a lot of people that were applauding it. And I think people who spend a lot of time outside see that this needs to happen. It was interesting because I did interviews last week. Um, I had just kind of shared some opinions on Twitter. I was going to stay quiet. And then um, the provincial parks minister said some stuff that I really disagreed with. I was yelling on my radio when I heard him on there. So um, I, I turned to Twitter and shared some opinions. And then that led. So I did an interview with The Guardian last week as well as the. On a star. And I think from this like national media perspective, people are looking at it like, what is happening here? This is crazy. Um, but the this this battle between like conservation and tourism in Banff National Park—it's been happening for decades and decades and decades, right? Yeah. The park was literally created for tourism, um, but it—you <laughs> need the, those like natural spaces in order to have tourists come there. So, um, tons of different threads here. One thing that I think is quite interesting here is just like if how we go outside in our national parks. Um, specifically, our popular national parks does that. Does that need a rethink? Do we need to do it differently? And I, I pointed this out on Twitter, and it's in the um, Go Outside Substack. If you search Moraine Lake on Instagram, it's like thousands, tens of thousands of geotag pictures that are the exact same picture. Um, and I'm not saying like, that's the only reason why Moraine Lake is popular, but what role does social media and geotagging specifically play in driving this, like people to the exact same spot for the exact same photo, you know, Banff is huge. It's like almost 7,000 square kilometers of, uh, of, and, and most of that is wilderness. 96% of that is wilderness. Um, and so it's, you know there's a lot of other places to go and a big reason my sister and i started um go outside a couple years ago was exactly for that reason to urge people to go outside and and to go to places that are not like that super popular place it doesn't it doesn't even feel like a park i don't know ryan if you've been to marine lake recently but it, it's a totally different experience than when you go like hiking in Jasper.
1: It's not my thing to be honest. Yeah. And it's beautiful and it's not a slight against Bam from rain lake or anything like that. But I'm not, I'm not a like put it this way. Uh, you know, like it, it Annalise, when we, uh, hiked, uh, the Inca trail over the six wonderful days up to, uh, to Machu Picchu and the, the spiritual experience of it all and the, the physical challenge of it all. And then all these tour buses just like rolled in and people spilled out and got their Machu Picchu photos. it, really chapped my ass, to be honest, and so I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that type of thing. That said. I'm also a big fan of uh, having people uh, experience the national parks and the views and this part of the world and, of course, the employment that comes with this and, and all those types of things. And so, of course, there is that that delicate balance. I'll let people know that we have the Federal Tourism Minister, Randy Boissino, joining us on tomorrow's show. And obviously, uh, we'll be talking about this. And at least for people that didn't see your your tweets, uh, they can follow you, Annalise AK. And, of course, uh, the links to your sub stack will be in the show notes here on YouTube and on our podcast, Um, what was it in particular about Alberta's parks minister, Todd Lowen, uh, his commentary about this story that that you didn't especially appreciate?
4: Well, you, you can't build a bigger parking lot in a national park. Like you just can't. I'm no environment minister, but you can't. It's a national park. Um, let alone if you've been to that area, like you know, there's no space. Have we considered um, a parkade? <laughs> there's there's no space for a bigger a bigger parking lot. So that was what really, like he, it just, it sounded like he did not know the file, um, which bothered me. But I think the big thing, and this I actually kind of forgot. I was so ragey about it that I it took like a minute I was like, oh, this is the same government that wanted to close all of those parks, right? So you have this provincial minister who's saying, uh, like a parks minister saying, you know, it's controversial anytime we make changes to parks and Albertans love going outside and all this. From the same government that it would have been um, 2020, it was right before COVID, so almost three years ago, it was like February 2020, the government said quietly on a weekend hey everyone we're gonna close these visitor centers we're gonna um close these underused parks we're gonna put 160 parks up for partnership we're gonna shorten the camp and se- camping season we're gonna stop um cross-country ski trail maintenance like
1: propose don't forget what the canon ask, to ask is too yeah, i mean charging exactly. people right
4: Right, and so they um, they were going to make all these changes to parks. People will still see. I don't know in Edmonton, but in Calgary, there's still the Save Alberta Parks lawn signs. Huge campaign, tons of people against it. You had your core blinds, like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Reverse those changes, then introduce the now it costs you ninety five dollars to go to Kananaskis. one park, but not the others. Like it's just you have this government that has made huge changes. Um, Two parks, some of which were stopped, thankfully, because Albertans spoke up, because Albertans love their wild spaces. Um, but you have, it just seems hypocritical for that government to then say, oh, we're really upset about this one road closure. And if anything, if if Parks Canada rolls out this shuttle program, so just to be clear, the, the road up to Moraine Lake is being closed to private vehicles, but there will be shuttles. And I think if that is rolled out well, a lot more people are going to be able to go to moraine lake right now they're saying last summer 5000 vehicles a, a day were being turned away only about 900 were making it through and that parking lot fits 100 cars so that's insane like 5000 that's vehicles wild. a day they come up they you know if someone has to tell them you can't come here they turn around i read one thing where it was like The abuse that the the people saying, sorry, we're closed face, like it's just nuts. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, you come here from you come here from Frankfurt or Tokyo and you're set on seeing Moraine Lake and you don't know about all the other lakes. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to, in just a second, to tell us about your your second most favorite lake in the area, because I, obviously you're not going to tell us your first. I'm not going to tell anybody my first, um, but I, we can do we can do our second favorite and make those recommendations. You understand why why people might be a little bit perturbed. Um, and then of course the cynic in me is also like, you know, well boy, this sure works out well for Brewster or for any of the other companies that run shuttles in the area, you know, Sundog or the others. But but also like that's part of it. And that's part of doing business, and that employs drivers and dispatchers and mechanics. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And, and we know that bus transit's better than a whole bunch of cars. And so there are trade-offs for sure. Uh, I think the best solution here is reminding people that there are, like, no slight against Moraine. I don't think Rain Lake's listening this morning, but, like, there are cooler places. Uh, what's your second favorite lake in the area that people should hike into or go check out? <laughs>
4: A good question. Um, here's the thing: I'm gonna tell people go to Lake Louise as second. I think Lake Louise is also very busy, it's super beautiful. But like, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a, our second favorite place we should be driving people to. It's the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, For ninth, sure. tenth, right? And so maybe that's like a future, um, a future edition of go outside of here are the 10 beautiful lakes near Moraine Lake that you should also go. But I do think that falls on Parks Canada a bit of like. Let's stop driving people to the one same place for the same photos. Let's go to other places and not just one other place, you know, spread those people out and and make it really easy of like, this is a really short hike. This is a little bit longer. This is if you're a little bit more comfortable. Here's what you need to pack, have those trail markings. Like a big reason people go to Moraine and do the little like less than one kilometer hike to the viewpoint is because it's easy and it's well-marked and they feel safe. And so if that's someone's first introduction, to to nature, that's wonderful. That's the first step, then they're comfortable. And then the next time they do a two kilometer hike or they do a three kilometer hike, right? So I I think a big reason we started Go Outside, we're all about like the the outdoors should be accessible and people should be going there. And you start with those easy ones and then then you do harder and harder. Um, But I think there's a communications thing here where you need to tell people where to go because they don't know. And that's where they go to their Instagram and they see, oh my God, 200,000 people have tagged this space. Look at the pictures. It's beautiful.
1: Okay, that's where I'm going. Totally. 100%. All right, I'll throw a couple bones out there. It's 7K in, switchbacks, Taylor Lake's great. People can enjoy that just outside Banff. I think that the the hike into Skokie is phenomenal, and Merlin Lake, uh, in, in that neck of the woods, so to speak, is well worth the journey. We had one of our most memorable uh backcountry hikes of all time into merlin lake in in the skokie area um and then of course uh no i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna sorry (laughs) no i'm not gonna do
4: it for for those listening i was second merlin lake it's magical if go swimming in there it's like it is magical and there's no one else there there's
1: nobody there and it it'll blow your mind um and and if you're into like Psilocybins and psychedelics it's even cooler uh we got we got a light show out there Annalise I'm never going to forget it for the rest of my life uh we saw bears out there it was uh like in a good way um it was just it was t- absolutely stunning and there's nothing like having the, like imagine being able to take your your new Instagram shot or your new Facebook profile shot on a wide angle and there's not another human in it in the frame I mean that's the beauty of it um I'm excited. By the way, on a side note, to to read uh, the results of your hike, you got a hike coming up, unless it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, with yeah. the former Calgary city councilor, former candidate, uh, a lot of people thought Jeremy Farkas was going to be the mayor of Calgary. Um, he did the what did he do? did like the Pacific Coast Trail, Pacific Crest Trail. What was it? what's the one that's like a thousand kilometers or whatever it is?
4: Yeah, one of I think it's Pacific.
1: Yeah, whatever it is. Post word cross. The did, long one. But he did like a fundraiser for, for I, I know I should have more details off the top of my head, but uh, but like a number of months uh, after after the election lost to ostensibly clear his head and figure out his plan moving forward and, and get his priorities straight. And you're going to be hitting the mountains with him uh, and interviewing him along the way.
4: Yeah, we're going to do a hiking interview uh, this week, is is the plan. And it's funny, so I used to cover City Hall at the Calgary Herald, so I know Farkas um, from when, when he was a new councillor. So my plan was kind of to go and have like a pretty, I'm not going to say grill him, but like, you know, have some honest conversation about that time on council and running for mayor and what he's doing now and if it's just a big publicity stunt. Um, And then my sister reminded me we are an outdoor publication. So I also need to ask him outdoor questions. Um, So I don't know to be determined how we're going to write it, because I think there's some very interesting like for those civic nerds, there's um, some interesting elements. And then for those people who are interested in the fact that he's he's a big hiker and he's doing these 25 um, winter hikes in a row so yeah it um it should be i'm looking forward to it it should yeah. be a good
1: one well i'm looking forward to reading it and i should correct myself here to, to do what he did justice uh it was a 4280 kilometer hike how wild is that the pacific crest trail uh to fundraise for big brothers big sisters that was uh, jeremy farkas um, Stephanie Babbitt reporting that when he was done at the end of August uh, so a number of months ago you can read the amazing work that Annalise uh, does on her Substack and encourage you to subscribe to it uh, it's well worth it gooutside.substack.com uh, we're a big fan of independent storytelling here and you do it masterfully thanks for making time for us on the show
4: thanks Ryan, thanks yeah, for
1: having me you got it, that's Annalise Klingbeal uh, again gooutside.substack.com you can follow her on Twitter at Annalise AK, and uh, check out Download and listen to the most recent episode of The Strategist. She does a great job sitting in for Zane Velge in the host chair and uh, cracking the whip on Carter a couple times. If, if you if you like The Strategist, you'll know exactly why we enjoyed that so very much. That was Annalise. That conversation was presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park this January for the entire month. They're offering a buy one, get one free special for real talkers, a six-pack, Of Dilly Bars Dairy Free Dilly Bars Or the Dairy Queen Sandwiches The world famous DQ Sandwiches Uh, Buy one get one free You buy six You're going to walk out with 12 If you mention Real Talk And if you're like Johnny Infamous If you're visiting the Dairy Queens In Palisades, New Newcastle, Westmount Or Baseline Road on a regular basis You can feel the allure of these frozen treats to the point where I see you on Kijiji shopping for freezers. I see you looking to upgrade your freezer game, John.
2: (laughs) I got to. I mean, I'm just I'm just I'm packed to the brim with dilly bars right now. (laughs) I'm trying to stock up for the year,
1: Ryan. Yeah, there you go. It's the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. We love whether you're at the counter or at the drive through. You let our friends in Palisades, Nomeo, Newcastle, Westmount and Baseline Road, Sherwood Park know that you're there because you heard about them. On Real Talk. What do you make of that story? The the, the I, I know that it's uh, it was announced uh, a while ago, but uh, Bath National Park closing yeah. vehicular traffic, uh, Moraine Lake Road. You cool with it? I, I
2: think it's like she said, it's a conundrum. Like you want people to get out in nature because then they'll appreciate respect and want to conserve it and maybe donate and, and just treat it with respect. But then it gets over, you know, overrun with people. And then I—I I mean, there's not trash everywhere, but you know what happens—the trails get run down, and you know it's—it's a—it's a fight between conserving and tourism, right? Which is why it's there. We want to enjoy it,
1: but yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm seeing some some suggestions here. Plain Powers recommending people visit Johnson Canyon. That's like mm-hmm. my childhood memories are there. I it's, think that's the good it's idea. It's an accessible hike. It's uh, it's a stunning. I mean, I think I mean we've we've got tons. We have my Jasper memories coming up tomorrow, and we'll talk to you about that neck of the woods mm-hmm. in Jasper National Park. I mean, I think of like Maline Lake. I think of the the, the Maline Canyon ice walks and some of the, sure. some of the cool stuff. Um, you know, west of Hinton in Jasper National Park. We're talking Banff National Park right now. Um, Johnson Canyon obviously is phenomenal. The Ink Pots. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of the Natural Bridge. I mean, anybody that's been around and spent some time in that area will know. And 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 I appreciate some of the other points that that people are making here. Um, you know, Artie Miss says, for example, it depends on what people want to do. Like, if you, if you want to debate, you know, whether or not bus travel, shuttle travel, road access uh, says, you know, not everybody's a hiker, mm-hmm. which is also true. I get that. Like we need to be reminded.
2: But if you're able, take the roads less traveled, the ones we were talking about. Like, yeah. don't just go to the Instagram spots because it, there is going to be a lot of people there and they're going to get trampled and they're going to yeah. become less
1: less beautiful. Shouts out to uh, Lake Minnewanka, Emerald Lake, Pato Lake. But Pato Lake is another one where it's it's just been, it's almost, uh, I hate to say this, but it's almost cliche. Mm-hmm. Like you look at how much action there is there and how often, you know, the, the more you see a destiny, like talk to anglers about this. Talk to people that love to fish. The more you see a lake on social media, the less you want to go there. Right. The best lakes. It's why I'm not going to say my number one. The best lakes are the ones where nobody's there polluting it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Every Tuesday here on the show, we celebrate innovation. Why? Because our friends, our sponsors at Leading Edge Physiotherapy value innovation above all else. If that's in the specific areas of health and wellness or more, what we see around us. The people that innovate, that push the envelope, that don't take no, the challenge as an acceptable answer. Well, those, of course, are the ones that are driving us forward. We call this feature the Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. And today, we're excited to tell you about a new development. Researchers, uh, this has just been reported last week out of the University of Cambridge. They've developed a system that can transport. It can transform plastic waste and greenhouse gases into sustainable fuels and other valuable products just using energy from the sun. What?! That's right, they can convert two waste streams. We know plastic is a huge problem, to say the least, but also we need plastic, right? And so they can convert the waste streams into two chemical products at the same time, and this is the first time that this has been achieved in a solar-powered reactor. It converts the carbon dioxide and plastics into different products, useful ones, in a range of industries. Uh, For example, CO2 converted into what's called syngas. It's a key building block for sustainable liquid fuels Plastic bottles converted into uh, glycolic acid wisely used, uh, widely used in the cosmetics industry. Uh, they're changing the type of catalyst used in the reactor and it's been a game changer when it comes to sustainable product development. So because they're converting plastics and greenhouse gases, literally two of the biggest threats facing the natural world into useful and valuable products using solar energy... You can read more about it in the journal Nature Synthesis. Today, we celebrate the researchers at the University of Cambridge for being on the leading edge, presented by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Isn't that great, a story like that? Those are the stories I like, Ryan. You know that. They're taking CO2. They're taking plastic. They're combining them. And then using energy from the sun, sustainable, perpetual energy from the sun. Love it. They're helping save the planet by developing (laughs) sustainable fuels. So cool. Uh, Every Tuesday, you can catch another episode of The Leading Edge presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. On tomorrow's show, we mentioned it already. The Federal Tourism Minister, Randy Boisno, will return to Real Talk. We're going to talk about that Moraine Lake Road Scenario. We'll talk about the provincial government in Alberta and the feds butting heads on that file. And we're going to talk bigger picture about the just transition. And Dr. Sylvain Charlebois will join us, the food professor on grocery prices and who's to blame. We'll see you then.
3: Real
0: Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.